What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of INT's The Podcast. I'm your host, A-Train, joined by my good friend and co-host, King. What's going on, King? Oh, excited to talk about football today. Yes, it, it was a pretty interesting week, you know, this week. We had some big games, some big ranked matchups. We had a top a top-10 matchup with Clemson and NC State. We had a top-15 matchup with Ole Miss, Kentucky. A top-20 matchup with Oklahoma State and Bella. But I kind of want to kick things off with Georgia and Mizzou. Number one team in the country, not anymore, but we'll get to that later, uh, was pushed pretty hard by Mizzou. Uh, did you watch this game, see the highlights? What were your thoughts about the way Georgia played? And what are your thoughts about the way Missouri fought in this game? Well, I did get to watch some of that football game. And I got to say, you know, we had, I think we had spoke about it earlier. Um, this Georgia defense isn't quite as good as last year's team. You know, and I, I thought they would be tested later in the season by the Tennessee's offense, maybe Kentucky, even Florida. I didn't expect Missouri to, to give them such a fight. But um, I thought during the game, when Missouri was up 13-3, uh, to three, they had the ball inside the, I believe, the five-yard line. They might have even yeah. like the one. I think it's like two. the one because they had broke a big run, and, and yeah. um, the running back got brought down like the one-yard line for first and goal. So, and I remember on fourth down, they kicked the field goal, and I just remember telling myself, like, hey, to me, you're up. 13 to 3 against number one team in the country. You got to go for the jugular. Yeah. You know, you, you score a touchdown there. You're up t- possibly 20 to 3. You go into halftime up three scores. That's a much tougher hole to climb out of mentally. I, I, I thought Missouri squandered that opportunity. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Georgia, then Georgia comes back with that fake field goal. Yeah, in the second quarter. That yeah. was big. It was, you know, Georgia, look, Georgia scrapped. They came back, got the win. Uh, it, but it wasn't a really impressive game from anybody from Georgia. Yeah. Know? I mean, Bennett had 300 passing, but I felt like he really had to earn that 300 yards passing. Yes. Uh, a lot of that, you know, was doing that comeback. You know, as you mentioned, Missouri was up 10 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, now, I do think the thing I felt that hurt Missouri more than anything in this game was – if you look at um, – they only had 294 yards this game. So, Georgia defense did do okay. Yes. But the issue was they had multiple opportunities to score, and they kicked five field goals yes. on one touchdown. Um, it's just tough to beat the number one team in the country with only one touchdown. I mean, give them credit. They fought, and they pushed Georgia to the limit. I, I don't think Georgia – you know, I think they come into the game, they just knew – Let's just chalk this one up and then get ready for Auburn next week. And yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a dog fight from the beginning. I mean, turnovers, fumbles. They had two fumbles or I mean, a fumble early in the game from Milton. Uh, George, I mean, but, but, but Missouri just just could not take advantage of Georgia's mistakes. They let Georgia hang around a little bit too much. I'm not saying that you know they would have blew out Georgia because that's definitely not going to happen, but. You had a chance to really push that lead, and you just could not capitalize. Yeah, I, I will say, but then we said they wouldn't have blown out Georgia. He said you kicked all these field goals. You know, you turn three of those into touchdowns. This is a different football game. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, one was like a 50, 55 yarder or yeah, something like that. Of course, but yeah, I mean, like it was definitely it was there, it was there for the taking. And I know if you're you know uh, if you're Missouri, 
your heart's got to be just torn right now. Um, you had a chance to really make a mark on the national stage. Um, as bad as Missouri is, it would have pushed them to three and two. Um, right. So, yeah. And I mean, at that point, you know, you're in the conversation once again uh, because, you know, you put a blemish on Georgia and the SEC because this is a conference game. Yeah. You know, it opens up the race. Not saying that Missouri was going to win that race, but it wasn't. But I mean, but heck, the way this season going, stranger things have happened. Yeah. And now my question is this. Do Auburn come in? Because Auburn played LSU pretty tough as well. Yes, they did. They blew a 17-point lead, but they played them tough. Um, well, Auburn's going to do Auburn things. Yeah, just like Missouri did Missouri things. But my question now, is, do you think that they will um, feel like they have a chance you know, against Georgia next week? Well, see, that's what I think the problem is for Auburn. I believe Georgia was looking ahead to that old rivalry. I think they were looking ahead to that because you know the Georgia versus Auburn, you know, it's a historic game. Yeah. Very old. And I'm pretty sure Kirby I'm, I'm sure he had this team prepared for this week. But you know, those kids know what's at stake next week. Y- y- you have to beat Auburn. You know. So I just I just think, you know, they were looking ahead a little bit. And maybe, you know, they were able to wake up in the second half. But as far as Auburn, like you said, I mean, Auburn just had a huge letdown against LSU. Yeah. They were, um, like you said, 17-0, and then they just blew it. Like, yeah. I, I, that, it wasn't the game I was planning on uh, really recapping, but um, if you did watch that game, do you have any thoughts about that particular game, LSU and Auburn? Well, I will It was an intriguing the- game just based on the fact that, you know, Auburn is a team that's been in, in turmoil, and they came out firing on all cylinders, and um, – I had but to LSU, say, you know, with their no identity offense, made um, uh, they would well, come back. That, that's what I was going to say. You know, okay. At at this point, um, just from a source I was talking to this past weekend, we got some frustration brewing in Baton Rouge. You know, we got some receivers who are frustrated. They're upset with Daniels. You know. They don't like the fact that he's just he he's not reading. He he he's not trusting them down the field. And yeah, I mean he had eighty yards passing. Yeah, and, and like you said, the guy I spoke with was like, you know, they they're not they're not they're just unhappy, you know. And I asked him about Kayshawn because I haven't gotten a chance to speak. I would like the chance to speak with him, but you know. One catch, and you know, if you're Auburn, you know, no one really popped off the page. You know, John Emery, eight carries, 40 yards, which is good, and a touchdown. Uh, Josh Williams, he had an okay game, 17 carries, 68 yards. But like you said, Daniels, eight of 20 for 80 yards, that's not gonna. I'm not sure how Auburn lost his football game. Yeah, know? I mean it's 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 an anomaly, but it's Auburn. Yeah, I mean they did what Auburn does. I mean, I don't I don't know either. I I don't know. I don't understand. It's just it's Auburn. That's all. That's and, really all I can say. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. BJ had a heck of a game. You know, he got pressure on the quarterback, but just and 
I mean, because Auburn had 400 yards of offense. Oh, yes. oh, 400 yards of offense to LSU's on 270. Um, they outgained them 337 to 85 through the air. It They averaged 6.3 yards per play. LSU is at 3.6. Auburn had more first downs. They converted more third downs. But you know what the magic number is? Four. Four turnovers for Auburn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, like I, I wasn't planning on bringing this game up, but it's just something that was interesting to me. Now, again, something else I did not plan on bringing up, but I'm just gonna touch on this real quick before we move on. Um, what do you think this is doing to um to uh, Booty's draft stock? I think it's interesting that the top two receivers coming into the season, Keishon Booty, and also in Ohio State, Jackson Smith and Jigba, in, in his case, it's been injuries. He hasn't played since the opener. Um. Yeah, neither one is really doing yeah. much to elevate their stock. Again, Jackson Smith and Jigba is more injuries, but what do you think I, about uh, Booty right now? I think truthfully, I'm, I want to say it's hurting his draft stock, but he's really not getting the opportunity. Yeah. You know, it, it's one thing if he's like, man, he's having a case of the drops or he looks a little bit slower, maybe he's not as explosive, but. I mean, if the source is correct, and you know, guys are just frustrated. I'm not sure what he can do. You know, like I, I, I honestly will say this: I think the Daniel situation is a perfect example of how the transfer portal can go wrong. Well, I mean, they are four and one to their credit, but correct, yeah. And I don't know who they will uh, really go to if. Uh, I mean, is it Nussmeyer? Is he still the I backup? Think, I believe he is. It's Nussmeyer. Yeah. But, yeah, they're, they're not going to put him in the game. It's just, you know, Jaden Daniels has played football. This is his fourth season in football. I know we can't count the 2020 season because of Corona. But, you know what I'm saying? For all intents and purposes, this is this is his fourth year. First year with LSU, I just would expect for a guy who's essentially a four-year starter to play a little bit better than this. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you would think so. I mean, they definitely need to uh, pick it up, especially next week against Tennessee, but that's something that we will discuss in detail um, on the Friday episode. Oh, I can't wait to talk about Heisman Hooker. Yeah. (laughs) All right, but but speaking of Heisman Hooker, he has a big game coming up in two weeks. Against Bama, Bama oh, we... played Arkansas this past week. They they ended up rolling forty nine to twenty six, but Arkansas made it kind of interesting. Bama was up twenty eight zero around the time it was fourteen nothing. Bryce Young took a nasty fall on the shoulder, uh, threw one pass, wasn't right, ended up leaving the game, never came back. Listed as day to day. Jalen Milrow, sixty five yards passing, but he had ninety one yards rushing, including like a seventy six yard run, uh, two touchdowns. You know he stepped up. Jamar- Jameer Gibbs. 200 yards rushing, big game heck, for him. Heck of a up. ball game for that kid. Yeah, exactly. So my question is, what are your thoughts on this game? Did you come away more impressed with Bama, or did you have more concerns with the way that they let Arkansas get back into the game? Well, I will say this. Bama, they had me a bit nervous because, I mean, like you said, they were up 28-7 to going into halftime. This game is yeah. over. It was 28-0 at one point. Right. They scored yeah. that, yes, that touchdown late in the quarter. And, and then, half. like you said, in that third quarter – you know, Arkansas wins it sixteen to zero in that third, and you're know, like, okay, you know, they still have some momentum. But then, you know, Bama just 
I was disappointed how they came out of the gate at halftime, but I was very impressed how they slammed that door shut. Yeah, in the Arkansas fourth quarter, put all the stops. They had the onside kick. They, yeah, uh, they did everything to yeah. steal the momentum, and then in the fourth quarter, in winning time, Bama slammed that door. And I will say they were, you know, they, they ran the football great. You know, Milrow. I mean, the freshman came in and looked good. You know, I will say he he, he did look good. He he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. But what he was asked to do, he was able to handle it. Um, there were some questions. I thought I will say this: Arkansas. I thought they did a good job on Will Anderson. I know he had a half sack, but I thought they did a pretty good job of keeping him as much away from KJ Jefferson as possible. Yeah, uh, it's disappointing if you're Arkansas because you didn't play a bad football game. It just Look, the Crimson Tide just rolled. That, 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 I think that's the best way to describe it. The Tide just rolled over. Yeah, like you said, um, at the end of the day, you know, the better team just, you know, it was like, okay, it's 28-23. We need to shut this game shut. And 21 unanswered points. Well, I don't think it's 21 unanswered points. Um, Arkansas did get uh, three points in there. But, um, but yeah, they just, at the end of the day, Bama did what they're supposed to do as a top five team, and, and that's close the door. Um, my interesting thing for me is going to be Bryce Young moving forward. But shoulder injuries are tricky. It doesn't seem like it's too serious of a, of a deal, but the fact that they have not committed to say that he's going to be ready to go in their next game still kind of gives me pause to wonder how serious was the injury. Again, I don't think it was very serious, but it's definitely something to monitor. I do wonder if Mil- – I mean, I do think Milro would be okay because I do feel that if he has to come in and be the starter, they will tailor that offense to his skill set, and I think he'll be more efficient in, um, due to that. So, you know, that's something to look forward to. That's something that we'll have to um, kind of see as it goes on. But Bama, back to number one in the polls as well, following that impressive victory in Georgia struggle. But um, and, and just to talk about uh, what you were saying with Bryce Young, I was looking it up now. He's still – it's Wednesday. You know, yeah. they're still listing him as day-to-day, so maybe we'll get an update Friday versus that big game against Texas A&M. But, you know, Texas A&M has, has been sneaky with Bama. Yeah. So, I, don't think I was going to say this for later in the in, in the game recaps, but let's go to Texas A&M. Okay. Uh, Texas yeah. A&M loses 42-24 to Mississippi State. And, um, in... Quite frankly, I don't know what to make of Texas A&M still. Um, yeah. This team baffles me. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, I, I honestly expected uh, State to win this game. I wasn't surprised. I was surprised in the manner that it took place. Um, that offense is still pretty pretty terrible. Devin A. Shane, you know, another good game for him. Kind of disappeared down the stretch, though. They kind of stopped looking to him later in the game. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he still touched the ball over 20 times, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Moose Muhammad actually played, you know, uh, pretty good for them. So it was good to see him step up in the injury of Anaya Smith. Um, it's crazy because I feel like I'm an old, old man now. You know, they kept calling him Moose Muhammad, and I didn't think much of it. Then I saw his name was Moose and Muhammad III, and I'm like, God dang, I'm old. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, Moose Muhammad, the great receiver, played with Carolina in, in um, mm-hmm. Chicago. But, yeah, he stepped up, played, you know, a pretty good game. Max Johnson was okay, 203 yards. He had to leave, but the, the, 
they had four turnovers. Turnovers again, just like Auburn. It's just tough to overcome four turnovers. Mr. Well, Taylor, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know, before I, you know, I don't mean to cut you off, no, but you know, Will Rogers had a ton of time to throw the football. Yeah, exactly. He, I was gonna get to that. I was gonna get to that. There was, you know, uh, pass pressure just was not there for them. Um, yeah, it's been a problem all season. Yeah, exactly. It was like no pass rush. Will Rogers, 329 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Rod Rod Thomas, big game, 134 yards receiving. A big game by Emmanuel Forbes. Um, two picks, including a pick six. He had a blocked field goal that was picked up in return for a TD as well. Ooh. So, big game for Forbes. You know, he's a guy who we kind of been talking up for a little bit. So, he he showed up and showed out uh, this week. But yeah, AM is just more of an issue. It's like to me, what's gonna be next with him? What do you do with Jimbo? Um, you know, he has a, a buyout. If they were to fire him, he has a fully guaranteed contract. So yeah, they, it's, they, so it's ninety-five million dollars at this well, point. Well the rumor I mean, the talk I hear, I'm saying the rumor, but it's really more so just the, the radio talk out here in Houston is Jimbo's got a really long leash. You know, supposedly they're gonna give him as much time as he needs, but at what I'm, point do you kind of shorten that leash? At what point do you say, "Okay, Jimbo, get it together, or you're out"? Now I get it, ninety-five million dollars. That'll make you patient. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of money. But if there's one school that has the money to say, "You know what? Screw this. We're gonna bring in somebody else." It's a and They have a lot of money. Um, yeah. The joke that I hear a lot um, on radio as well, podcasts, is that uh, um, once you see gas prices start to raise up, look out. Jimbo's probably going to be gone because those Texas a and Ormen are going to uh, <laughs> raise yeah. those prices so, to support that, that buyout. Davis money is – it's look, they're in a tough situation. Like I said, just the week before, I praised how they were able to get to the quarterback, wreak some havoc against Arkansas. And then this week, they go back to their old ways of we don't rush the passer. Yes, we get no push. You know, I don't want to harp on that that recruiting class because these guys are just freshmen. Yeah, but some it, of them are playing, but I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like you would. I mean, you have to like at this point when you're deep, you're not getting much pass rush. Maybe you should let those guys play more. Let them just make their mistakes. They're going to make mistakes. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Like, because they had such a highly recruited, touted defensive line class that, like you said, at a certain point, if I'm getting no push from my juniors and my seniors, what was the difference if I play the freshman? Exactly. I, and it's not to say that the freshmen are playing great. Like you said, just make your mistakes. It's. And even maybe it's a scheme thing, you know. I I was amazed at how much time Will Rogers had. Yeah, and not only that, Mississippi State ran for 144 yards this game. Right. It, I mean, you, they they did what they wanted. Yeah, I will give a special shout out though to Emmanuel Forbes and Will Rogers. Emmanuel Forbes, that was his fourth career pick six. He's now the all-time leader in SEC in that category. Will Rogers, if I'm not mistaken, is about nine or ten completions away from being an all-time completions leader in the SEC. So, shout out to both those guys. Oh, both those guys. He's obviously going to break that record next week. Yeah, against Arkansas. And then A&M has Bama. So, we'll see how that goes. Sure, we'll talk about that coming up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, later. Talk about that uh, later in the week. 
But um, moving back, though, there was a top 10 matchup, though. Uh, honestly, the game wasn't very exciting, if you ask me. NC State and Clemson. Clemson won 30-20, but NC State scores, like, very late in the game to make it yeah. um, look respectable. Not much offense. 279 of offense for NC State. 254 for Clemson. I was impressed with Clemson's run defense, though. Um, NC State only had 34 yards rushing. Rushing, You know, if, if you can hold your, uh, an opponent to 34 yards rushing, an opponent who's averaging 150 yards a game prior, you're going to win a lot of ball games doing that. So, yes, Clemson plays played well. Miles Murphy wanted to have sacks, played well. Tyler Davis got to have sacks again, played well as well. So, what do you talk about, uh, think about this, about, about Clemson? Well, that's also Clemson, the, you know, DJ played well. Yeah. He he played a good football game. We just call him DJ from now on. Yeah, because that last name's a tough one. You know, <laughs> Mr. Miles Murphy, I mean, the guy is an impact player. He showed up in a big game, had a big game. I just I gotta be honest, this game was not exciting. This I watched it, I was not very Neither one of these teams look like playoff teams, if I'll be honest with you. I don't, yeah. You know, I mean, I think Clemson defense finally kind of looked the part. You know, we kind of questioned them after a couple of games earlier in the season. But yeah. Particularly that Wake Forest game last week. But, yeah, I mean, it looked the part this week. I will, I will give them credit there. Right. They bounce back. But I just – I'm not I'm not sold. It is still early in the season. It's probably too early to think playoffs. But they they didn't pass the eye test. I don't know. Maybe later in the season. And as far as NC State, yeah, I'm not sure why they were ever ranked in the top ten. That high. They're undefeated and they were ranked coming to the season. That's you know how it goes. Yeah, that has yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, but next week they have Florida State, so we'll see how that you know how they rebound against Florida State and yeah. Clemson goes to Boston College. So I expect it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, two more games, but one I want to talk about a little more than the other. The other. Uh, so the other one, uh, we, we, we can actually go over this one first really, really quick, was Oklahoma State and Baylor. Um, again, it's one of those games where Oklahoma State jumps out, Baylor tries to make a little comeback, but couldn't quite get over that hump. Uh, Oklahoma State, you know, pulls out the victory. Any thoughts about this game, or did you watch any of it? Uh, I, it, was, it wasn't much to really talk about. Honestly. I wasn't able a to big watch it. Yeah, there was a lot of big plays. I wasn't able to watch this game. I was able to catch a recap. And, you know, this this Oklahoma State team, you know, they were ranked number seven. I think they're ranked number seven now. I just think – I think they're okay. You know, I think they're okay. I will say they are the best chance for a Big 12 to go to the playoffs now, though, because, you know, Baylor, they just got their second loss. Yeah, Baylor's out of it. Oklahoma is just – yeah, we don't even talk about them. Yeah. So you got Oklahoma State and you got Kansas. Who I want to give a special shout out to Kansas, five and zero. But anyway, if, you know, that's what I was going to say. I think that's probably the more interesting part of this is Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy, you can probably sneak into the playoffs this year if you keep it up, because Oklahoma, Texas, n- neither of those teams look like they should be. Yeah, they not, they will probably be favored in every game moving forward. At this rate. Right. And then, like you said, Kansas is 
right now the second best team possibly. I do expect them to lose a lot of games coming up. Oh, good. yeah. Really good. But I'm just saying, look, they're 5 0. <laughs> so I, I have to say, hey, they're 5 0. They haven't lost. But, you know, Oklahoma and Texas aren't looking very good. Iowa State isn't very good. Kansas State, you know, is Kansas State a good team? West Virginia, it's. I think the big Kansas State is ranked. Uh, Kansas State, TCU are ranked. Also, Kansas. So they have those games. But again, I don't think any of those teams no. are as good as Oklahoma State. Now, interesting thing. I just looked it up. Just looked this up. Um, I guess all those three teams that I just named, Kansas, I mean, sorry, Oklahoma State is going on the road to face all three of those teams. Mm, that's Not, it. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's. That, yeah. that changes things. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but yeah, they are better than everybody left, left on their schedule. So, naturally, they have a chance. So I don't think yeah. they finish undefeated, though, because I don't think they're that much better than their competition, but just something, yeah. Well, that does remain to be seen because, like you said, it's, it's pretty early before we, you know, in terms of playoffs. But so far, I can see them going 11 and 1, 12 and 1, and, you know, they win in conference championship. I do agree. It's probably a stretch for them going undefeated, but even if they do, if I'm the playoff committee, I, I don't know. This team is probably a four seed at best. I just I'm I'm not sold on them. I want to see them play a little more competition, which is another problem I have with the conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah that conference is not very good right now. So. No, yeah. Uh, but but the other game I did want to speak on a little bit more was Ole Miss and Kentucky. Ole Miss pulls off the victory, twenty-two to nineteen. You know what? I'm going to rephrase that. Kentucky pulled off the defeat, twenty-two to nineteen. Yeah, hey, hey, you know <laughs> what? I, I I saw a joke uh, for the SEC shorts. You know, check out their YouTube. Yeah, I'm about it seems like Ole Miss really did call the miracles department. You know, yeah. because I, I'm not sure how Kentucky. Did not win that football game. Yeah, you got a miss, miss, miss field in the game, a blocked extra point, another yep. extra point that was a bad snap, two fumbles by Will Levis, including the, the game ending fumble. Right. Um, oh, before that though, they had a touch. They had a big play that took them into the red zone. They throw a touchdown pass, but it was called back due to illegal motion. Yep. Uh, <laughs> then they, you know, get get the fumble, and Ole Miss picks it up, win the game. Uh, Will Levis is an interesting guy because he's getting all this first round hype, and he very well may go in the first round. Um, passing the ball, he actually wasn't bad, but he shows you, you know, he showed you his big arm, he showed you his arm talent, you know, 18 to 24, 220 yards, two touchdowns. But a few things about Will Levis that kind of disturbs me one, it's not his fault, other one is his offensive line is not very good this year. I don't know what's going on with that O-line. Kentucky yeah. has been pretty good O-line the last few years, but this year is just not very good. But secondly, though, I think Will Levis is part of that problem because he's he's holding the ball a little bit too long on some of these um no. on some of these um sacks and turnovers. So I'm gonna um, say this about Will Levis. Okay. Now, right now, like you said, he's considered a guarantee, a lock to be a top ten pick right now. Yeah. It's almost a guarantee. A lot of people think he's the number three quarterback on the board. Um, and to say, you know, this guy was a three-star kid coming out of high school. Mm. 
but uh, you know, number seven projected player in you know in terms of the rank. But the one thing that gets me with him is you know I saw people drawing comparisons to Josh Allen, and I don't see that. Like I think he's a good football player, but you know Josh Allen just came off of an MVP type season last year, and. Will Levis, like you said, there are some he, – he's got a good arm. He can make the throws. However, I do have a problem when my quarterback is fumbling the football in winning time. Yeah, that's, you just can't do that. You know, like – It's the one thing you can't do. You cannot fumble. You know, there's certain things to me that make me nervous about players, but it's great if you are playing great in the first, second, and third quarter, but then it's it's winning time. You're coming up small. I don't. That makes me that makes me a little nervous. That's the best way I can describe it. I I'd be nervous about that. And it's one game, but I don't know. I'm I'm unsure about Mister Levis. Yes, yeah, same here. I mean, I, I would like to, to see him do more. I mean, the arm talent is there. You know, uh, he's definitely going to get the opportunity to kind of showcase that at the combine. Uh, right. But just during the season, you know, I just want to see more from him. I want to see him take over again. I want to see him. All right, we're down six. We need a big play. I'm going to make these tough throws. I'm going to take these chances, and I'm going to zip this ball into double coverage. Uh, not like in a dangerous way, but just more of like I'm well, confident that I can squeeze I it guess- one my my issue is this: Kentucky played Northern Illinois, who is one in three or one in four now. They're, they're not very good. Will Levis goes eighteen of twenty six, three hundred yards, four touchdown passes, and that you know that sounds great. I won thirty one to twenty three. You know, hey, and that's cool. But then you come back against Ole Miss, eighteen of twenty four. 220 yards. Yeah, not bad numbers. It's not bad numbers, but it's almost as if, okay, he's just cruising along. And what you did against Northern Illinois and how you picked them apart, that's cool, but that didn't work against Ole Miss. So why are we still trying to go the same approach if that's not getting the job done? I don't know. Like, I, I just think I want more. To me, if you're going to be a top 10 player, typically you got to jump off the page. Exactly. And I don't I see that for the, Especially with quarterbacks nowadays. You know, you, you screw up in the draft and your quarterback in the first round, you're set back a few seasons. Yeah, like that's one thing I always say, you know, about like taking quarterbacks in the draft. Um, obviously, if, if you know if you have if you have that need, you know you got to do it, and it's, it's very important investment. But yeah, if you miss, like you said, you're set back for a few years unless you do what Arizona did and just reset it and drop another one the following season. Yeah, but most, most teams, teams are not willing to do that. Yeah, most teams don't want to give that up. Yeah, so yeah, so it's interesting. We'll see how he he does. Uh, for Ole Miss, Jackson Dart, the, the USC transfer, did not really play that great, but he got the win. Um, yeah. Kenshawn Judkins, so I will give him a, him a little shout out. Um, the true freshman, over 100 yards rushing. I believe he's like, I don't know if he's leading the SEC in rushing or 
top three, but he's having a pretty good season. He was on a three-star recruit, so good find by Lane Kiffin there. Uh, Malik Keith, former Mississippi State receiver, 100 yards receiving on, on the game as well. Ole Miss, easy early, easy early season schedule continues next week against Vanderbilt. Uh, I will say this. Um, what you're talking about with Jenkins, you know, that guy beat out Zach Evans. Yes. You know, and Zach Evans has not played very well. Yeah. You know, for a kid, I got to watch that kid play at North Shore, and he was and, special. Like, he's a kid who you have a connection with personally, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, I sure I know some people who are related to him. You know, and it also is, I kind of knew why he wasn't able to go to Georgia before the news was breaking. He wasn't going to Georgia. Mm. But I'm starting to say, what's up with this kid? Yeah. He's got all the talent. You know, is he wasn't a big fish in a small pond. He played 6 8 ball, won the Earl Campbell, you know. Award, which is a huge deal in Texas, you know, the best running back. That's a big deal. You know, you made it to state back to back seasons. I I just, you know, I'm wondering what's going on. You know, Lane Kiffin brought you in for a reason. What's going on? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, like they um Ole Miss still undefeated. Uh easy schedule continues. Their schedule picks up a little bit later in the season, but um, they should win nine or ten games this year. And I don't even think it's because they're that great. I just think it's you know no, the schedule, schedule is very favorable. Yeah, that and I hate Ole Miss, so I, I refuse to acknowledge if they're good or not. So, no, nope, uh, understand? Yeah, fair enough. But, but moving on. Uh, so, uh, players of the week. Is there any guys that you want to give the honor to this week? All right, well, truthfully, the player of the week was almost wrapped up. During the week, by Mr. <laughs> Tooley of BYU, until I'm sorry, son, you got a chance this upcoming week. But you, huge game he has against the rival Utah State. I believe he had three or four TFLs in the first half. Got a sack, had a pick six, had a huge third down stop. And what did he do? He grabbed the kid's shoe and threw it in the air. Yeah. You can't be player of the week making mistakes like that, you know. So, because of that, player of the week this week goes to Alabama running back. Now uh, I can't pronounce his name. Jameer Gibbs. Yeah, get Mr. Gibbs. They call him Mr. Gibbs. <laughs> Good game, son. Yeah, he had a big game. Two hundred yards rushing. A big run late in the game to put that game away. Yeah. Yes. Big yeah. Yes. So my player of the week, uh, I, I I mentioned him earlier. This is this is a kind of a homer pick, but I also feel he deserves it. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes, you know, two interceptions are on the game, including the pick six, and then a field goal block that led that was uh, scooped up and also returned for a touchdown. Yep. So he made two big oh, plays that led to flash plays that led to fourteen points um, on defense. So I mean. The guy has been pretty good all season. Hasn't really been getting an interception this year. Um, more so just lack of targets. Yeah. But, he, you know, he's definitely playing his way up the draft boards. I'm interested to see will he declare after this season or will he try to come back for one more year. I will uh, say, but, I know you're a state fan. 
But the type of season he's having, I, I think he has to declare. Yeah, I mean, I will. I think he should, but I also think it's important to get that feedback. From of course. The, um, yeah, to see where he's projected because, again, I don't know where he's projected. For all I know, he could be projected to go day three, in which case it might be wise to come back. But if he can, you know, be in that day two range, which I think he is, which I think he should be, um, you know, or because even if he's day two projection, you know, you could fall to day three, but you'll probably be a fourth, fifth round pick, which is fine. You know, you just don't want to be taking that chance of being a day three projection and then go and draft it. So that's right. why I say, like, if he has that day two projection, I think it's pretty safe to say he's probably best that he, you know, um, takes his career to the professional level and start making money for the game he loves. Yeah, um, I think he's going to be making money regardless because yeah, the NIL is going to be coming his way soon. This yeah. is true. This is true. This is true. Yeah. So top 25 came out. Interesting change at the top um, and the bottom, but the middle is kind of stagnant. Um, so Alabama is the new number one, only two points higher than Georgia, even though Georgia has more first place votes. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, Alabama Georgia is number more one. First place votes. Yeah, uh, Alabama's one, Georgia's now two. Really, at this point, it doesn't matter who's one and two. Ohio State's three, uh, Michigan four, Clemson five. That's pretty much been the same. USC six. That's been the same for a few weeks now. Um, Oklahoma State jumps to number seven. Tennessee holds steady at eight after the bye. Um, you have LSU, I mean, sorry, Ole Miss um, at nine, Penn State at 10, Utah, Oregon, Kentucky Falls, NC State Falls, Big Forest is up to them 15, um, BYU, TCU, UCLA makes their way into the polls, Kansas, Kansas, yeah, State, Mississippi State, Cincinnati, and LSU round out the polls. I I I have to say this, and I've said this. I think I've been harping on. I I don't understand these Big Ten teams. <laughs> you know, we we've talked about Ole Miss's schedule, but at this point, the Big Ten has played who? Yeah. You know, um, like I do not understand what has Ohio State done, and like I under like I get it. The top twenty-five does not matter right now. It's still really early. Yeah, doesn't really start mattering until those first playoff um, projections come out. I mean, uh, rankings come out. Yeah, I mean, once you know, what is that week eight, week nine? Yeah, somewhere in there. At, at that point, you know, it, it, it's a much bigger deal. You know, and I, I just know, um, Ohio State. Clemson. I mean, Clemson did get one over a top ten team, but it, I I just don't see it from the Penn State is ranked in the top ten for what reason? Uh, well, they beat Auburn. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> well, it's about that time. Yeah. All right, but I'm moving on to this RPO here. You know the drill. Read a topic. If there's anything that interests you, you run with it. If not, we're going to pass it. And the quarterback can always run with it. Yeah. Pull it and say, oh, no. (laughs) All right. So, Northwestern plans for a new high-tech stadium. I think it's interesting, but I'm going to pass on that. All right. Pass on that one. Um, David Hicks, uh, the number one 
defensive lineman for 24-7 sports commissioned to A&M last week. He was expected to go to Oklahoma, but at the last minute chose A&M. Oh, my. We got to do a separate episode on A&M and these recruits. There's, <laughs> some, there, there's something not right. Because like, I'm around with it for a very short amount of time. What did the, the only thing I think this kid can see is I'll get playing time next year. Y'all can't rush the passer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't like to get into rumors on this show. I try not to, you know, delve into that uh, category. I mean, I mean, to that space, you know. But um, I did read on a message board. Someone posted something from an Oklahoma board. Again, this is all second, third, fourth, sixteenth hand uh, speak. So that's why I said I don't want to agree into it, but. It was interesting that someone pointed out that they had a conversation with the parent, and basically he said that they were going to go to Oklahoma because he, he on the phone the night before he told Oklahoma he was coming, um, and then apparently he had life changing money. That's what's the, the quote again. I don't know how true that is. That's just you I, know, hearsay. I, look, I get it. You know, we've seen some of these kids get nil deals that realistically, for some families. You have to take that deal. Yeah. You know, it, it's just everybody, you know, I get it, you know, and, and I say this, I know if I was in some of these kids situation at 17, 16, 17, it'd been tough for me to say, hey, I might, I might have to pass up and go into this school that I love because this school over here is going to give me two, three million dollars. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't see what that kid has seen at Texas A&M that would make him say, yeah, I want to be there. They're, they're not yeah. up in these defensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak. He's a Texas kid, so, I mean, maybe he just decided he wanted to stay in Texas. So, again, yeah, again. perhaps, perhaps. But I, I, I would like, one, you know, we'll have our recruiting episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, we'll yeah, get back to definitely that. Definitely going to dive deep to, to recruiting later in, yeah. later in the season. Um Next, Air Force gets probation for recruiting violations. Oh, we gotta run. They they have to be the very first team, <laughs> like academy school, correct? I mean, I don't know. See, I, I tried to find information on that. I cannot find if they were not they were the first um, academy school to get probation because, yeah, I mean, you have very stringent um, admission standards anyway compared to other yeah and then uh, you have to do service and then is the air force they don't like people a certain size yeah you can't be too tall you can't be too heavy you can't be too dumb you know it's yeah and for those who don't know so according to the action network citing sources reported in may that the falcons were being investigated for hosting high school prospects on campus during dead periods in 2020 and provided them with improper benefits. So basically, they had to pay an unspecified fine. They got two-year probation. Um, recruiting restrictions include a reduction of 46 total official visits over the next two academic years, a ban of unofficial visits from September 1st to October, October 12th, a four-week ban on recruiting communication this academic year, a reduction by 34 in evaluation days, and a reduction of the size of the ro- football roster by 10 for, the, for four years. The crazy part about this is, does this even really hurt Air Force, though? Uh, I I think the roster size reduction may hurt a little bit, but um, I'm just amazed that I mean, you know what they say if you ain't if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Exactly, exactly. That I, but, I guess 
If you can't beat them, join them. I guess. I mean, you're. But if you're Air Force, why? Just why? <laughs> yeah, that, that's. Uh, yeah. yeah, people cheat for you know sports that don't make money. Yeah. So. All right, moving on. Auburn NIL deals are double the national average. Once again, I want to run with it for a short time, but this is a a, a bigger, a, a small part of a much bigger issue. Auburn having double the NIL is the national average. Cool. My question is this: What is the SEC average? Once that get point. that information, I, I don't, I don't know that information, but that is something that's very interesting because the national average, according to the article, was thirty four hundred a month. Auburn is paying players seventy four hundred a month in NIL deals. So, which is a lot of money. If you which think is about a it. whole lot of money. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you got kids now who are making almost ninety thousand a year. Yeah, yeah, and that's just the average. Ninety thousand dollars for an adult. You're you're pretty content, except in certain states. Yeah. If you live in Manhattan, you get you know you probably have a second job, but <laughs> but you know. In the state of Alabama, you're living pretty high on the hog. Yeah. It's, but because they're in the SEC, I want to know how much is Texas A&M spending? How much is Alabama getting? LSU. And I mean, that information is probably going to be closely held to the chest. Exactly. Because I know with this case of Auburn, um, it was kind of a situation where they felt they were behind the NIL payments. So their collective um, onto victory is what it's called. Basically, they like really ramped up the donations to try to get to that competitive level. They felt they were behind, and I'm assuming they mean behind in as far as SEC goes. Yeah, there, there's there. I I'd be really shocked if Auburn is paying even the most in the SEC. Yeah, like without knowing anything, I would assume that A and M, Bama, Georgia. It's probably top three. I think Tennessee would be up there. Yeah. I think Ole Miss would be up there. Oh, no. um, Ole Miss is definitely going to be among the top three spending money. Yeah. I would be really shocked. If, yeah. I, I it, it it would be a huge surprise. Yeah. I also expect uh, um, you know, to see LSU and Florida be up there as well. Especially LSU when you think about it, because I said this before, and I don't mean this as an insult, but it's the truth. LSU is like a cult. You know, people say Texas A&M like a cult. Maybe. True. But LSU is like a different level. Well, it's opinion. expected. You know, if you're a Louisiana kid, especially Southern Louisiana, you know, if you're a quality football player, you're expected to go to LSU. Yes. And, you know, there's so many schools in Louisiana, the Acadiana Parish, just in South Louisiana in general, all across I-10 to I-12, those areas, you go to LSU. Yeah. I, I've seen kids who, hey, man, you got a scholarship to go to this place as a two, three-star, and they're like, well, my grades are good. I'm going to just walk on to LSU. Yep. Like, I feel like it, the only place in Louisiana where it's like, if you want, if you if, if you're gonna pluck that kid, kind of getting off topic here, I know, but if, if you're gonna you're gonna pluck the Louisiana kid, I feel like the only areas that you really have a, a chance that traditionally would be New Orleans, because for some reason New Orleans kids are just different. Yes, and, and um, 
you know, the architects, Freeport area, like that area. Well, yeah, North Louisiana is two different states. If you've never been to Louisiana, we have two states in one. I mean, there's still diehard LSU up there, but that but that area you can you can probably pluck them because the influence is not as strong as so. Right. But in, like you said, New Orleans is a different breed. But even still, a lot of those kids still go to LSU. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, I think, the only reason I think New Orleans gets it is because it's the city of New Orleans. You know, those, the outskirts there, you know, it's, it's different. But yeah. I would assume, like I said, when we do our deep dive on NIL and the money and what's it doing in college football, I got the feeling we'll find that Auburn is not spending nearly as much as some other schools. Yeah, definitely that. But uh, moving on again. So Texas and Oklahoma meet as unranked teams for the first time since 1998. I should do the right thing and pass on this. But I'll run with it. But we should pass because, I mean, this year, Texas isn't a very good football team. They haven't been a very good football team for a while now. Oklahoma, I'm not sure what they have going yeah, on. The last couple of weeks have been pretty bad for them. Yeah, I, I'm. I know they lost a lot of talent, and I just think right now, just a prisoner of the moment. Do you think the SEC has a little buyer's remorse? Nah, I don't think so. Because at the end of the day, it's more about money than it is about the wins. I mean, yeah, the wins create the money, but. Um, I think I I don't think so. I think that'll be fine. You think they're still happy with that pickup? Yeah, I I, I honestly think so. I honestly think so. Because yeah. at the end of the day, Texas Texas has been crappy for the last how many years, and yet people still talk about Texas all the time. So yes. imagine, every preseason, yeah, exactly. So just imagine when they're halfway good again. So it'll just be publicity for the SEC that I'm sure they will like. Yeah, the SEC, you get the Red River shootout. So. Yeah, it but it is sad, you know, and and that's not to say this game won't be a good football game. You know, I'm sure both teams are gonna go out there and fight, but it it, it has lost a little bit of its shine. Yeah, the game just doesn't seem as. Well, uh, I mean, Oklahoma shows up to you know as a quality football team with high expectations, and then you got Texas. <laughs> And that's the best way to describe it. Am I right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so, And then the last topic we have for today. Um, basically, I kind of combined these two, but Colorado and Wisconsin both fired their respective head coaches. Okay. Now, Wisconsin firing their coach somewhat caught me off guard. Uh, Colorado's coach has been terrible. <laughs> but the real catch that got me with Colorado was what their AD said in regards to their football program. This man, quote, (laughs) said Colorado football will become a powerhouse again. I'm not sure what... there, Cotton. Huh? That's that's a bold take there. I'm not sure... I, I don't understand. Like when he said, that, I was like, okay, this has to be wrong. Maybe he's been misquoted. But the fact that their AD, their athletic director, his first name is George. Oh, wait, last name is George. Mr. Rick George went to a press conference, sat down in front of the camera, 
and vowed that they will be a powerhouse again. Well, we had I, this discussion. Like, how does this even happen? Well, I will say though, I feel the first step to Colorado coming back to being relevant will be making the commitment to football again. Um, so, mm-hmm. if this is his way of saying we're going to commit to the sport, then I'm intrigued. I don't. I mean, I do think that those days are are gone for Colorado just due to the circumstances, due to the recruiting base, due to the nature of the, the conferences moving around. Um, I just don't see it happening, but it is a interesting quote, you know, to hear that. Oh, oh, there's more. The fact that <laughs> there are no excuses. Quote: This place can and will be a football powerhouse. I, I, I don't understand that. I, well, I mean, with, with NIL, I do feel that a lot of these teams who otherwise would just be dead in, in, in the water. There's a glimmer of hope there if if um, the alumni could shell out some big money for the NIL deal. There's a there's a lot of energy money in that area. You know, there's a lot of people who come from the University of Colorado who get into the energy business, so they probably have some ties to some of that money, but they're not putting it back into football. Yeah. And Colorado has not... And even if they did, the problem I think that this school has, most of those people, when the last time was Colorado a legitimate national power? Yeah, the 90s, pretty much. Right. So, you know, it's been over 30 years or close to it that Definitely over twenty. Is you know since that since those days, and it's been about twenty years of average to lackluster performance. Yeah. So you've got a lot of people who would be those boosters, those forty-year-olds, those fifty-year-olds who who are making money or have made money. But if you went to school, you were terrible while you were in school. You had no interest in the games. Why are you reaching back to go help this team now who's still not very good? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting with Colorado. And then as far as Wisconsin goes, um, I was kind of surprised by this one because Paul Chris has been pretty good for Wisconsin. And, you know, he started off like two and three this year and gets fired. Um, I looked it up. His record was very, very similar, like with percentage to, uh, to, to Brett Bielema. So... I don't know what, what they're expecting. I don't know if it's more to the story, but 67 to 26 in the seven years there. Won 10 games for his first five seasons with the Badgers. Um, won a Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl. Got three division titles. Um, I will make a bold statement. I don't know. Is this a Bo Pelini type of situation? Where Yes. Nebraska- good, good comparison. Nebraska had a quality coach who was giving them really good results. For, but they for, wanted more. But they wanted more. Yeah. And, and, you know, the bigger issue is this. Why are we firing coaches so early into the season? Yeah, and honestly, that's a good segue there. Because I do want to talk about that. Um, about the fact that we've had four coaches fired uh, early this season. Last year, before October, I think we had seven coaches fired. Um, uh, coaches are getting fired more and more mid-season now. I think early signing period has a lot to do with that. 
because you want to go ahead and just make that change, you know, to either salvage your recruiting class or to try to build one before early sign up here because 80% because uh, per, you know, the article that I read, 80% of players are signing in the early signing period. Yeah. So I, I, I um, it has something to do with it because, you know, but then to the point, wonder, what are you going to do with the season? Because, yeah, I mean, I guess you just like, we're just talking the season and we're just going to focus on, Trying to salvage things as best as possible to the point where if you're you know you're Wisconsin you're paying uh, a buyout it was owed sixteen point four mil but they agreed to eleven million dollar buyout it's right. one of the things where um, the discussions come up come up about Jimbo right now like he's kind of a name that people are getting kind of irritated with in College Station people want to see him go but that's a ninety million dollar buyout but. It's one of the things where will they? I don't think they make the move. Obviously, that's too much of a commitment there. But hypothetically speaking, if they just didn't care about money, do you think that A and M will be thinking about making the move now, just so that they could try to um, salvage an- another recruiting class, or would they try to keep them and hope they can turn things around? Like it's just, I wonder what it's going to do with these programs. Because at a certain point, you know, Nebraska fired their, you know, they got rid of Scott Frost. Mm-hmm. And these are all proud programs Nebraska, Wisconsin, Colorado, even mm-hmm. Georgia Tech has some history. Yeah. It, and I don't think we're done because I believe the coach at Auburn is going to be on yeah. this. Carson is just, um, yeah. He's just, <laughs> he's just, if you ever seen the picture of that cat just hanging there, that's, that's him. Yeah, I'm not even sure how. I'm assuming they're waiting until after the Iron Bowl because it's Auburn. Yeah, but I wonder. You know, they might not wait that long if he loses again to Georgia. Yeah, at a certain point, like you said, these teams are just like we have to salvage this recruiting class. But the my question is, how many of these recruits are looking at like, whoa, whoa? You're firing a coach midseason. Do I really even want to go into an unstable situation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely going to happen. Like recruits are definitely going to decommit, um, look around, or question, you know, their commitment to these schools. Um, that yeah, it's going to happen. It's naturally. But I guess in their eyes, it's like it's better to just cut ties now and let them know that we're making a change and let them know that we're planning on moving ahead and trying to correct the ship and we're being proactive about it as opposed to being in limbo, wondering what's going to happen or if my coach is going to be around. And then, you know, you have negative recruiting going from other programs trying to basically influence them saying, hey, Coach Hart's not going to be there very much longer. You know, you might want to look over here. Right. Uh, and you're not saying the guy, you know, coach is gone out of Auburn. Oh, he's going to be gone. <laughs> we don't know that, you know. He might turn the season around. I don't think he will, but he might. But I, I have to agree with you, you know, because well, you throw out the hypothetical. You're a young running back coming out of Mississippi. If you see the chaos going on at Auburn, what interest do you have? Not, I mean, not much. Like, it, it'll be one of those cases where, like, I might be interested if I just like the Auburn program. So right. I would keep them on the back burner and just kind of keep tabs on the on their hiring process. 
But if I'm a kid who's just totally neutral and who has no ties in these programs, have no rooting interest, no uh, favorite team growing up, I just play the game because I love it and I'm looking for a good fit, then I might be like, okay, well, with Auburn, it's not the fact that they're down. You know, you can be down. But the fact that there's so much uncertainty regarding that coach, I don't think I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And if they now if they fire him and then say in November they make a splash hire, say they hire Dion. I'm just throwing out a name. They hire Dion. You know, maybe I would be like, oh, okay. Let me um, you know, a month before uh, early signing day, let me um take a look at this, or a couple yeah. weeks before early signing day, you know. So, and that would be my other question. You know, we see we're seeing what Dion's doing with Jackson State. He's got a lot of excitement around the program. He's got fans back into it. He's getting players. Do you think some of these schools who fired their coaches are going to look for former players like a Dion? I give him a shot. Yeah, I can see that happening. I think Dion's like a very special case, though, because Coach Prime uh, is just. Yes. Quite frankly, like, he's just, you know, he's a legend. I mean, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to really, you know, but get somebody of that caliber to come. Sure. Unless, unless a Ray Lewis want to get into coaching or something. You know, it has to be somebody who's not only, like, a legendary player, but someone who resonates with the youth. I'm not saying Ray Lewis does that, but, yeah. But, you know, Ray Lewis, you know. Was... I just named the guy. You know, he, look, don't get me wrong. I, I got a nephew who, if for some reason Ray Lewis, you know, started coaching Texas, I don't think he's ever even liked the school UT. But if Ray Lewis became the head coach, I, I got the feeling that kid's going to play there. <laughs> you know, I, I, just is what, I, so you you are onto something there. But I was wondering, you know, like you said, Coach Dion, I'm not sure how many more splashes people can make, but you have to grab these kids' attention with the splash because yeah, some of these programs, like if you're Wisconsin, I mean, you're not going after the the biggest of names. Yeah. However, you still got to bring some kids in. And then you also have to retain kids because the transfer portal now, you fire your coach. You have a chance that a lot of players like, you know what, I'm out. Yeah, and we saw that last week with the Georgia State quarterback who transferred after the offensive coordinator was fired. Um, so, and that, that's not even the head coach. Right. It's. I think it's a tough situation. I would – well, I'm going to ask you, what's your opinion? If you're an AD, better yet, you're, you know, you're a fan of Mississippi State, if things went sour – would you prefer to fire your coach mid-season or do you prefer at the end of the season? Mm. See, oh, that's tough. Honestly, it's a case-by-case thing. Okay. Um, it If it's like we start 0-5, similar to Colorado, I say you do it as soon as possible to start that process because it's not really about, you know, about trying to hire a coach, you know, as soon as you fire him, but you know, the, the, the earlier he's gone, the earlier you can start that process. The earlier uh, you can hire that search committee to start, you know, looking for names, vetting out interests, you know, seeing who's interested, and kind of getting the kind of getting the jump on things. Um, but if I'm, 
you know, three and two, but we're just not playing well. I kind of say just wait it out, just see what happens, see if it can see it turns around, and if it doesn't look that way, then you just make that change after the last game of the season. And it's the case after the egg bowl loss, then you because make that change. I'll say this: Herm Edwards was fired, and it seems like he was fired on the field. Oh, I forgot about Herm Edwards. That's five coaches. Yeah, he. I'm pretty sure he he got fired on his way after that, just his way off the field. Yeah, but you know. I believe Herm went twenty six and twenty or twenty seven and nineteen. Yeah, but the wheels were falling off there, though. That, yeah, they but, also had impending probation, which yeah. is another factor. If if a team I'm pulling for has probation looming as well, on top of just not performing, then yeah, again, you just might want to just cut ties because what what that does as well, you know. And you saw this with like um, LSU did this, you know, with Orgeron. You know, it it might diminish the. I'm not saying what's wrong with the case of probation, but just an example. Um, if you fire that coach, though, it might reduce the penalties. Kind of like, okay, better example would be Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze. When they fired him, it kind of reduced the penalties just a little bit. Uh, right. So. I just, I wonder, you know, when he was coaching with that team, there's not a whole lot. Because, I don't know, I just think, like, the suspensions didn't help, you know, and they did lose a lot of players. So maybe that's why they just decided hey, it's time for him to go. But I mean, I'm looking at the reason why they were going through the uh, investigation. Oh yeah, I... it's that they were recruiting players in a dead period. Yeah, I just I don't know, like. I wonder with some of these programs because he never had a losing season at Arizona State, I don't believe. Yeah, but he also never set the world on fire. So it's one of the things no. that, like, if you're not – if you're just stagnant, but then you're also bringing this trouble. And, again, I don't think it was a certain Herm, you know, just breaking the rules or being malicious about it. I think it was more just a case of just giving his staff too much freedom and well, not really overseeing. And, and that's a big part of being the coach. You have to oversee your staff. because it's all back during the COVID – you know, time. Yeah. When they were accusing them of. So, to be fair, I think most people can say, hey, how much, how much did everybody know how to navigate those waters? Yeah. Yeah. But there were clear rules, though. Oh, yeah. I'm just giving him a way out. Because the issue was not the fact that they were, like, just recruiting. It was that they were hosting prospects during right. the period where you were not allowed to host prospects. Right. Um. So, yeah. So it's a, but like I can say, and I get why Herm was gone because like I say, if, I mean, we went eight and five. That's not that exciting. Wisconsin, I just think some of these programs, like I said, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Colorado, proud programs. Arizona State finds themselves in a weird situation right now because will the Pac twelve, Pac ten still exist <laughs> in two seasons? Yeah. It's it's definitely interesting when it comes to them, and then also um, another reason though that you do would want to fire your coach ahead of time, in my opinion, is because sometimes if you wait too long, like last season was a case where you had USC was open early in the season, LSU was open, you know, you had some big programs, and if you're just waiting to make your move, you just you know you're behind the eight ball anyway with those big programs, but. At least if you can kind of, you know, get ahead of the game, you can get some ideas of some candidates that might be interested in you because 
again, you had some big programs that, quite frankly, you're just not going to outbid for a coach. Right, because Florida had – Florida was open last season, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, when yeah, they but had... that opened up after the season. But I just used the, you know, USC and LSU well, because that was like, you know, so earlier. Mullen lost control of that team. He did. And maybe I'm wrong. I think that's probably a better situation to fire someone as soon as that happens. Like, yeah. okay, the locker room's gone. We're, this ship is in shambles. Let's just cut our losses now. Yep. He didn't close the bowl game, did he? No. You know, they, I didn't understand why they kept him for so long, and it was obvious that team was in chaos. Yeah, I mean, in, in defense, the year before, I think they won the East, maybe. So, um, you know, they, they were playing pretty well under him, but last year the wheels just fell off. Um, I guess my question, though, about the coaches, though, is do you think this trend will continue of coaches getting fired in midseason? Because, again, like since the exception of the early signing period, it's starting to happen more and more. And do you think that um, that this trend will continue? And do you think that because of this trend, will they look to make changes to the early signing period? I know they've discussed it before, but do you think they would actually follow through on that um, due to these? I've, I've always said this. I, I don't I actually don't like early signing period. Like I get why it exists, but at the same time I don't. I thought signing day worked just fine out in February. Yeah. You know the the big because the, I think for most kids, you know, you have that dream of okay, I'm a, I'm gonna be at my school or wherever. You know, some of the bigger prospects can do all kinds of things for their uh, signing day. But for most kids, you're at your high school, the coach comes in, you, you get to shake your principal's hand or your head coach and the new head coach. You know, you do those things, you take your picture, put the newspaper, cool, go about your day. But this new signing period, I don't, like, who's it helping? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, I like the idea of it. I just kind of just think that right now, I think having it in December and then in February is just too close together. Right. Um, if you're going to do early signing period, make it early. And I honestly don't think that it's necessarily good to do that, but I just, you know, that's just kind of what I would do. Like, if I did well, early signing period, I would probably do it before the season started. That's what and, I was Which would suck, though, because, you know, you had those players who are late bloomers have players who have those big senior seasons. But if, if anything, maybe that they would get more, more of an opportunity in a late signing period, but I'm worried about spots filling up before that. Oh, but so wouldn't that reward the teams who don't just try to fill up their signing, their yeah. roster, their scholarship I, as quickly as possible? I do think so. I do think that some of these smaller schools would benefit from that because a guy who I can think now, granted, in this particular case, he would have signed because he blew up in that summer and not necessarily like during the season. But Chris Jones was a guy who when he committed to Mississippi State, he was a two-star prospect at the end of the summer. By the time the summer ended, he was a four-star guy. By the time the season ended, he was a five-star and rated the number two player in the country. Like, so, um, but again. And deserved every bit of it. Yeah. yeah. So he, you know, so you, but now he's a rare case. Though. I don't know if I've ever seen a case like that where a guy goes from a two-star to a top five player in the country. I've just never seen that before. Um, but. I do feel that, like, with the early signing period, if you did it before the season, 
uh, again, I think it's too early, but it, again, it'll kind of change the way you do recruiting. And I agree with you that some of these smaller schools who don't fill up their spots, you know, might see a guy see have have an amazing senior season and and be like, oh, this guy can play some football. Let me bring him in, and you know, they have the spots to do him, and you know, maybe you might get a steal doing that. Because uh, now, I just think this whole is the race to sign twenty five people. Yeah. You know, twenty or thirty in some people's case, but I, you take away that early signing period in December, like I said, you put, just put it in September. You know, enough yeah. high school's been played. Maybe get a game or two, and for the kids who are just like, "Look, I'm done. I just want to focus on my senior season." They can have it. Yeah, and then maybe October. Like, uh, yeah, I just have an issue with during, during the season, but. Yeah. But yeah, maybe October or something if you if you want to do it during the season, you know. I I just think August, August to me to me would be the best. Yeah, and again, I still think that's too early. I I still don't like the idea of players like of uh, committing to schools before they play a game of senior season. But it's that way in other sports too. Yeah, um, like basketball, you know, they sign in November before they start playing high school basketball. So yeah. in fairness. It is like that in other sports, so, um, you know. Yeah, I I just think like you said, and maybe that's the best way to put it. Put in like you said, October. You've played most of your senior season, and if you want to be done with this recruiting stuff, you can get it done before playoffs really kick off. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's how I would handle it. But as far as these coaches, I just think I think we're gonna get more. Yeah, it, it it would not shock me if we get ten coaches fired. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're going to get one next week. I don't have no knowledge. I have no coach in mind. I just think it's going to be at least one next week as well. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. I'm, and I think honestly, one of the things I think that affects this, I think these conference realignments are, are affecting this stuff. Yeah. I think Trying to get into the best position as possible, I think they're trying to make themselves look as attractive as as possible. Because if you're Colorado or Nebraska, because I'll even say this: we everyone talks about conference expansion. It at a certain point, these conferences are going to be kicking one to kick teams out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I go that far, but um, definitely though, if not if not kicking teams out, you, you do have the teams who are going to be left out. Yeah, and yeah, and so like my because question is: some schools aren't bringing anything to the negotiating table. Yeah, like what I'm worried about is will the Pac-12 and or the Big Twelve turn into the Big East? Yeah, uh, the, the Big East was the Big East ended up turning to the AAC towards the end there, um, but now it's, it's a group of five countries. A group of five conference. Um, yeah, because it, it, it was hanging on by a thread, but but that conference isn't too healthy. Yeah, it wasn't good. Like even when it was considered a, a, a BCS conference at the time, uh, it still was like by far the weakest conference. It was hanging on by a thread, but eventually it folded. But not with it. Well, Big East, you know, ended up just going going away to football. But but you know what I'm trying to say. Like it, it ended up losing that BCS status. Um, so it, I don't, it's a it's an interesting one, but I, I think that's part of it. I think schools, because 
the Pac-10 is going to be a real thing yeah. unless they add more teams. But if you're the Pac-12 right now, there's no one really you can add. Yeah, as attractive as USC and Texas as uh, no. USC and UCLA. No. there's zero teams you can add that's a, that's attractive. All you could do is just try to find the best possible schools who you think will. Um, and then the real problem they have is some of these California schools probably don't want to deal with those California schools. Yeah, so it's not like you can say, "Oh, we'll bring in San Diego State." Or San Jose. No. I can't think of a single California school who I think I would even consider. Right. It's Fresno, but I wouldn't yeah. even do Fresno. So, yeah, I, I I mean, I think you would have to add just a team to just add a team because you think they uh, have potential uh, athletically, like a Boise State, for instance. Right. I wouldn't do it, but I'm just saying, or, you know, if you, luster. If, if you decided to just get rid of your you no know, religious school rule and go BYU. Um. Yeah. But I mean, I don't. I don't know what you do if you're the pack, the pack, the pack twelve, unless you try to raid the Big Twelve or maybe merge with the Big Twelve. You know, with Big Twelve. You know, you see, you got the Colorado, Arizona State have just fired their coaches, and I mean, I'm gonna go out on the limb with you. It wouldn't shock me if Arizona doesn't fire their coach because they haven't been very spectacular. It's, I'm. I'm not sure what they can do to make themselves more attractive, but I do believe these coach firings have something to do with that. They, Everyone's jostling for position. Teams who are on the outside looking in, because if you, once again, if you're Arizona State, we've been 8-5, and 8-6, and, and all of these things, and, you know, cool. We've had bowl game wins and bowl game stretches. Are you feeling confident right now the way the Pac-10 is going? Mm, no. You know, how many teams do you think are beating down the door to get Arizona State in their conference? Exactly. I mean, because- it's just it's just not there. I mean, like you said, like I I, I feel like this trend is going to continue and um, there's just a lot of factors. You know, like you said, the early signing period, you know, the Conference realignments, all of these, I think, are, are playing a part into coaching into schools. Just putting putting the trigger. Uh, uh, you could even you could argue prematurely or I even uh, think, proactively. I, I think the playoff expansion changes things because teams look getting that playoff, you know, viewership, those playoff eyes on you, that matters. And you expanded twelve teams now. Schools like. A Utah can get to the playoffs. Yeah. Even if Utah's not very good, you get to 12 teams. Hey, we won the Pac-12. We have an argument. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We beat the 12th seed and how many teams? There's only so many SEC schools and Big Ten schools you can throw in there. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so, we'll see what happens with that. Like yes. I said, I do predict that we have more on the way, and I honestly don't just don't see this changing until college football as a whole kind of settles into whatever little yes. um yeah because right now there's just so much flux going on in college football, uh, and until it kind of settles in, I think we're still going to have a lot of ch- changes, and this is just one of the effects of that um, the business side of college football. Right. Yeah. But anything else you want to add 
before we wrap this up today? No, I'm looking forward to the show Friday. Same. Yeah, because there's a lot to talk about this this week of games. Yeah, big games coming up this week. We'll definitely get into those games. Um, yeah, but until then, I'm A-Train. This is my co-host, King, and we out of here. Yeah, have a good one. All right.